Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You still think it's beautiful and sweet to die for your country, don't you? We used to think you knew. The first bombardment taught us better. It's dirty and painful to die for your country. When it comes to dying for your country, it's better not to die at all. You ask me to tell them how much they're needed out there He tells you, go out and die Oh, but if you'll pardon me It's easier to say go out and die than it is to do it And it's easier to say it than to watch it happen Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers and cinephiles Dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad. Okay. Christian, Lucas, thank you so much for coming. Now, this is the first time that we're doing a podcast, all three of us. We've been talking about this for a while. Christian, you've been here before. Last time was The Dark Tower, right? That's right. And now you're back. And now, Lucas. Hello, hello. This is your first time here. My first time ever doing a podcast in general. And we're doing a doozy of one. We're talking about All Quiet on the Western Front. Really happy movie. Both versions, 1930, 2022. So before we really get into the film, I want to know, how did you first discover the story, All Quiet on the Western Front? Christian, I'll start with you since you're the one that recommended all of this. Thank you. I've always been familiar with the book, so I read the book about four or five years ago, and based off the book, uh, which I really enjoyed, I discovered the movie, mm. which won Best Picture in the 1930s, watched that, and then heard about the Netflix movie that came out, and just watched that to see if they could compete, and well, they... The rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. 
So, Lucas, how did you first discover All Quiet on the Western Front? Um, I discovered it by just purely, uh, not only just between school, but also just being a, a self-acclaimed Deutschophile and enjoying my time in Germany. Um, it is always a very prominent uh, novel within German literature, and especially um, since the end of the World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of their kind of their pacifist uh, nature and look on war. Yeah. Um, and some that really impacted uh, their culture and mindset. Um, but as yeah. far as the movie, um, up until our conversation, I'd only seen that um, the new one on uh, Netflix uh, was nominated for a bunch of awards and things mm-hmm. like that. I wasn't aware there was an earlier one uh, until you mentioned it, until besides the book. Me neither, because like when we were even talking about doing this, I was like, let's do All Quiet on the Western Fronts. And Christian was like, which one? The one from 1930, <laughs> which is better, or 2022? And I'm like, what? There's a there's an older one? First of all, when I first discovered this, I just knew the book. We didn't read it in school for some reason. We watched, we read other oh. books, but like I was aware of the existence of the book. And I didn't even know there was even a movie. Oh, until, really? You yes, didn't know about the movie? Until, I thought was... until you mentioned it, I didn't know there was a movie. I was oh. like what? There's a movie. I just knew of the book. And so, uh, I discovered the film because of you and I, I just thought it was just a 2022 movie. I didn't know it was a remake of a 1930 film. And for this podcast, I watched the 1931 first and then the 2022 version. Uh, Lucas, did you watch 1930 first? Did you watch the 2022 version Uh, first? 2022. I was, I, I was unaware that was even a thing and yeah uh like i, said, I appreciated when uh christian brought it up because it was uh on my reading list as, at that moment this year anyway so uh nice. it was timely to say at least so you two read the book yes i did not read the book oh, so would you shame. say the book was i think for shame very shame very good shame. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very powerful it's short piece of, too it's yeah really? short and very powerful 250. Uh, 50 pages no 250 oh. <laughs> it's a very powerful anti anti-war book in a humane way as far as the census of war and uh very human and emotional say at least there's even a sequel to the book oh called the black obelisk it's like paul i think i've never read it but from what i recall these i've seen it come up before i I think it's like the aftermath of the battalion i don't know if it picks up who uh which character picks up with or if it's a completely new character but it's the um between the Armistice in 1918 yeah. up until uh, the Nazi elections in 1932. So like the Weimar really? Republic type deal? Yeah, and it okay. kind of shows the decline and fall of the oh, Weimar wow. Republic and how it can't deal with inflation or food. And <laughs> So it's a prequel. So It's, it's the, a sequel. So it's a sequel to All Quiet on the Western Front, yet a prequel to the rise and fall of the Third Reich. It's yeah. the rise and fall of the Weimar Republic. Pretty much. <laughs> So would you say that the book and the film are similar or are they different? I have to be more specific, which film? Okay. So like uh, the book was written in 1929, correct? Mm-hmm. And then the film was... Nine, the following year. Yeah. The, 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 the 1930 film is very um, close and very, um, you know, very follows the storyline of the book. Okay. So very true. The, the original the movie. Yeah. In the 1930s, but the... Second movie, the one that came out a few months ago in uh, 2022, that one picks up the spirit of the book and the characters of the book and perhaps only covers the final chapter <laughs> really? of the book. Oh, wow. 
I mean, the whole book covers, uh, and you saw with the 1930 film, it covers him like joining and going through uh, recruitment and base training and then going and experiencing his first combat skills. Whereas in the, the, the new movie, um, I mean, you see him get re- Paul get recruited into the army mm-hmm. and then it cuts to the end of the, like the last weeks of the war. Okay. And it just follows his story in those last weeks of the war. So you miss out on the whole like character development. Yeah. And, uh, middling part. So Lucas, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, uh, I'll say my initial thoughts of an, another difference between two, and this is, I guess, me just being like a millennial in 2023. I, <laughs> I did think the acting in the new movie was a little bit better. And I just say that in a sense of, you know, early 1930s, 1920 movies, it kind of has that over dramatized to it. And consider- we got to join the war. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and just the French. And just considering it is an exceptionally emotional and surreal uh human book uh, uh just by its nature of story and storytelling uh, i did think that the night was a little overly kind of acted but it's kind of style of the era um christian's getting and, and, pissed off right now oh, that's good but, but, but also also maybe i kind of wonder and this is me being a little too introspective is if a part of the acting was also because of it was so recent and so real for a lot of people right. that to kind of make it too real would be a little too traumatic for that particular, especially I mean, when movies were very new. I mean, yes, it was one of the first talkies. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. nominated. <laughs> I'm talking films that had only been around for three years at that point. So I mean, and they went hard. They're like, okay, let's make a war movie about World War One that just happened, you know, ten years ago. <laughs> you know, people are still missing, you know, parts of their faces and legs and things and right. trauma. Right. I mean, kind of like the whole. Like, if I'm not sure if you ever seen like Boardwalk Empire. Oh yeah, but that shows a lot of the sniper character. Yeah, yeah, a lot of raw emotional trauma left over. Oh yeah, in the twenties from that still. Oh yeah, like when I was watching the original film, as you put it, Christian, the real, uh, all quiet on the Western real film. film, Yeah, (laughs) like that was my sentiment, especially in the beginning of the film, with like the establishing shots of like the the German army marching through the streets i'm like holy shit this is probably like the real uniforms that they Mm -hmm. probably wore the real guns like this is like it's like the equivalent of like us making a war on iraq it's like that just happened like a decade ago so it's like it's it's fresh in their psyche and they're making a film about it and so that like translated to me as the viewer watching this over a hundred years later you know well 90 years later (laughs) Now, would you put like some kind of uh, similarity to kind of how people might view uh, particularly post-Vietnam War movies when it was still some recent in the future being, our, you know, the late 70s? Yes. Okay. Yes. Especially Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, like that was, it's almost similar because like we have the the German perspective of World War One, and it's like they lost the war. Yeah. So it's like they took the heaviest toll out of all the nations in that conflict. And like with Vietnam, we didn't win Vietnam. Like it was like us against the Viet Cong and like so many people died. And like the underlying thing that connects both conflicts is like, what was the point? There was no achievable end goal in the end. Yeah. Same no. thing with the, the Great War. It's like. What were they fighting for? There was no clear objective. It was in like, as you know, we find out by the end of the the second one where it has like the title cards uh, before the credits, it's like 17 million people died 
in this conflict, and they barely gained a mile of territory, a few hundred feet of territory. So it's like this, this war lasted four years, killed an ungodly amount of people, and at the end of it, achieved nothing. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's even that scene, uh, I can't remember if it was just an old movie, just a book, um, in which there was a chef or some kind of character who talked about, hey, it wouldn't be better if, you know, fighting these wars were just, uh, you know, all the kings and nobles and their people just put them in a, you know, particular field and have them fight themselves instead of right. sending their own people against each other. Right. I always yeah. feel that way, especially like now. Like, what if, like, Zelensky and Vladimir Putin were in, like, a boxing ring? It's like, all right, battle it to the death. Putin's a little bit older, so I mean, he's yeah, not exactly the guy riding on the bear anymore. <laughs> he has, he can't even help know. his tremor. <laughs> yeah, but every single conflict, it's like, oh, why can't like the main people like duke it out instead of like sending their own people to fight and die for, you know, the fatherland. The fatherland. So you're a Deutsche file. Yes, I am. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Uh, so it means I just uh, uh, huge fan of German history, culture. Uh, I've gone over there plenty of times. Plenty yeah. of friends built uh, relationships with my sister city, and um, uh, appreciate the culture and trying to understand their particular mindset and their views uh, and how it uh, differs from mine as an American, primarily. Mm. Uh, just understand why they act in the world the way they do differently from us. So, with that perspective, because you're German. Yep, half at least. Watching this <laughs> film, did it like resonate any feelings it, it, that's inside it, your body? I'll say it's not. It hasn't. It didn't necessarily resonate any feelings that previously weren't there after going to uh, Germany since 2011. So basically, 12, 13 years. Um, it, it did reinforce the kind of weird feeling I have whenever I go there and I'm on a train going from West German town of Budigen, that's my sister city, to Berlin, which is in East Germany. And just kind of wondering and thinking about over the millenniums and even just over the last hundred years, uh, how many battles have been fought here, people have died here. And my particular ancestors, whether it be the American side or the German side, uh, and kind of like what happened there it was very surreal. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so weird even whenever I go back there. You know, I met my... Uh, in 2000, I want to say 18 or so, uh, I went to Leipzig and, um, uh, it was just weird to be at, I can't remember which co which Napoleon coalition it was, uh, it to be at the battle of Leipzig and we're, there was a famous, you know, war. And, um, I think it was one of the, I think it was the first time Napoleon was defeated, uh, by the coalition. Was it, uh, Les Miserables? No, no, that no, was, that was, that was after. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah, is the like, Sixth Coalition, like, 1913, yeah, yeah. General, Battle of the Nations yeah, in Leipzig. Yeah. Okay. General Lamarck, I think, actually may have been one of his like generals in, uh, sometime in the time frame. But uh, it's just weird to kind of go to places and see like it's huge monument, very kind of quiet, mm-hmm. and kind of realizing how many people like died there. Right. So it weighs heavy on your heart, especially seeing like the Great War, like all mm-hmm. these, like the 20th century alone was just like, carnage filled of like especially europe like we're kind of removed from it because we're in america there's yeah america America. (laughs) we're far away from everything except for the civil war yeah our two biggest 20th century yeah it's 19th century our our two biggest defenses are the fact that we got an ocean to our left and ocean to our right and friendly neighbors to our north and south (laughs) yeah 
of neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly confrontational. We'll they're, say that. They're getting ready. They're better, neighbor, they're better, they're better neighbors than the Russians. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. So, gentlemen, we talked a lot about the film, but we haven't talked about the film properly. So, before we go any further, we need to do a plot synopsis before we dive into who our main character is, Paul, and all this stuff. So since we're talking about two films at the same time, Christian, I want you to summarize, just in general, the 1930 film, All Quiet on the Western Front. And Lucas, I need you to summarize, you know, keep it, keep it brief, I'll keep it brief the up. 2022 version, the remake. Are you ready, Christian? I am. Okay. I am. Yes. Go. Go. Okay. So the 1930 version follows Paul, our main character, as he joins the Imperial German Imperial Army right out of university. And it follows him through base training um, as he develops friendships with his schoolmates and as well as developing friendships within his unit <clears throat> and follows his military career throughout the war as he experiences first combat. And then slowly you see his cynicism develop, whereas coming out of university, he'd been very much um, taken in by the nationalist sentiments of his professors. You see mm -hmm. throughout the film as he experiences combat and uh, meets and develops friendships with the veteran troops of the Imperial Army, uh, cynicism as he begins to doubt why he is fighting in the war itself. And so you cover uh, through multiple battles uh, during the war. Um, and then he has a brief period of leave where he returns home, visits with his mother and um, former professors and other folks at, on the home front. And he sees the kind of dichotomy between his lived experience on the front and the way the home front ex experiences the war, where they still believe it's winnable and they believe in the honor and glory of fighting for mm. Imperial Germany. It's romanticized. Very much romanticized, yes. And then he's sent back to the front, um, and then you just see as his friends are killed off and even the veterans are beginning to be killed off, and he sees more and more uh, young recruits also taken in by nationalism as they're sent into the meat grinder that is the Western Front in Flanders Fields. And then um, you see his ultimate death reaching for butter, uh, the butterfly, which in many ways is a symbol of his uh, lost innocence. Yes. One of the best shots in cinema. Yeah, it's tr very, yeah, truly. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it's such an incredible film when I saw it. I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. for, like, I for a 30s film, yes. I mean, with all the... Um... I thought I was going to be silent, to be honest. <laughs> no. No. I was like, and then they started talking, I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then like really good cinematography. I was like, Oh my God! Yeah, with thousands of extras and like battlefields, and I think they actually used war, actual war footage in some parts. Oh my God! I I can believe it. Like it was Chef's Kiss. It was so good. So now Lucas, there's only been one remake. <laughs> 2022. So uh, the remake that came out in 2022 was a Netflix film. Uh, recently, did it win any awards or did it's it's nominated? nominated for Best Picture? Because I oh. I don't pay too much attention to when the season starts or it, it was too much. It, by the time this um, comes out, it's going to be next week. Oh, oh my lord! Yeah, but uh, one main difference, as Christian mentioned earlier, between the old movie and the new movie is besides the fact that it is in color, oh. <laughs> <laughs> HD, got too. some RGB it's going. Got, <laughs> it's got that Netflix money. Yes. <laughs> um, 
But the main difference is that uh, it just starts later into uh, his campaign and career, kind of gets past all of the uh, familiar relationship kind of building. Yeah. Um, it kind of more goes last days of the war. Um, and I think particularly probably one of the main differences with that too is that it probably for better or for worse, probably focused trying too much on the whole cinematography of it and the whole, you know, 2022 um, uh, uh, realistic era type thing. Um, and it basically ends the same exact way. Um, kind of in that, uh, ambiguous kind of death scene in which it just pans over, um, Paul passing away and just, you know, mm-hmm. looking death eyed to the camera. Well, also that subplot, the German peace commission going out to right, that's France, the- which doesn't appear in the book or in the 1930 film. So let's get into it. So that's like the huge difference between the two films. Because like I watched the 1931 first, and I was like, okay, it's like it's it's very, as you put it, uh, Lucas, it's very overacted. It's very of its time, and that's fine. I mean, it's a product of the time period. Mm-hmm. And like the new one is like spectacle, like amazing special effects, really gritty cinematography. It's in color, <laughs> and the actors actually German. They're German actors. Yeah, they speak in German too. Yeah, because in the, oh yeah, in the first film, <laughs> that's, that's not they're, the they're, they're Americans speaking <laughs> English, playing as German soldiers. And I was like, there's a little bit of a disconnect going on, but that's okay. They, you know, times are different. So the main difference between the two films was that subplot with the German high command. Um, and specifically with one of the generals, I'm going to try to pronounce his name correctly. Uh, general Friedrich, right? Frederick. 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 Yeah. 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 Yes. Like he exemplified like the nationalistic pride when it comes to representing Deutschland and what Germany deserved in this conflict is like, Germany needs to win the war. We deserve to win the war because his background, he was a soldier. He came from a long line of soldiers that fought in the Imperial Army, but he didn't fight in the war uh, during the ripe age of like a soldier, young, young, mm. young man, because there was no war. It was peacetime. And like when war finally came in the Great War, he is an old man, so he's a general. And so he felt like, I guess FOMO, like he he missed out yeah. on like fighting in the war. And that's kind of like informed all of his actions when it comes to leading his soldiers, especially near the end of the film. Um, that was a huge difference. And I don't know how I felt about that. Christian, since you're a big stan of the first film, how did you feel about the subplots of the German high command? Felt it was relatively unneeded. <laughs> Why? I mean, it, the whole purpose of the book is to show the, the loss of innocence and the it, like the whole generation of German youth experienced during the First World War, which the author experienced as well. Of the really? book, yeah, he fought oh, in the yeah. war. Oh wow! Well, I, I thought you knew that. Come on, Armand. Get with the picture. (laughs) Read the book. (laughs) I saw the pictures. I didn't read the book, unfortunately. (laughs) I usually do that. So you, it kind of just took away and it just felt, I think the German culture nowadays still feels some war guilt for better or worse. In my opinion, relatively unneeded because it's been over a hundred years and they no longer are ruled by the Hohenzern uh, royal family. So I think they just put it in is like, see, there were some good Germans trying to end the war as <laughs> even though on, it was like 
whatever. So I just felt it was very like un- un- unneeded. And then uh, I mean, seeing the um, the German, which probably was more the German general Friedrich, which is probably a stand-in for Ludendorff. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Who later was an early follower of the the Nazi Party due to his rampant mm. uh, nationalism and anti-Semitism. So I. Th- I Thought it was interesting to see that part conveyed, but I think the whole purpose really of the book is again that loss of innocence for the whole representing that whole generation's loss of innocence and just the cynicism and needlessness and waste uh, that the common soldier experienced in World War One. I. I just felt that the subplot just took away from it. I mean, you see the French being uh, complete jerks as all Frenchmen are. <laughs> um, I mean, like, Oh yeah, we're just going to, these, these are our terms. Like, even though we are like killing your troops and we're not going to have a ceasefire, even though we are under armistice talks, I don't know. Yes. No, no. <laughs> right. Now, do, do you think one of the points of that possible s- subplot um, may have been to a way of somewhat politically neutralizing kind of themselves, the film or like, well, we kind of put that like not only the Germans were the only bad people who, uh, but there were still people within that wanted piece. No, I thought I thought they. I mean, I think a trend nowadays is to represent storylines that perhaps have been forgotten. I mean, many people don't know the plot or the, not the plot, but the story of how the Kaiser was abdicating, and at the same time that these peace commissioners really. Yeah. The, oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was a revolution. There was a massive revolution in Germany during the war. During the war, in the last days of the war, starting with the mutiny of the sailors at the naval yards in Kiel, which then spread throughout the German population as soldiers were deserting from the army, going home, and the population, which had been um, experiencing famine and starvation due to the Allied blockade, they oh, seeing, wow. seeing the dissolution of their army they also rose up and in seeing this whole senselessness well i was going to go from the kaiser's perspective as the kaiser sees his armies falling apart yeah he's recognizes his inability to rule so i think at the time the german high command was based in spa in belgium so in the middle of the night in november i think november 9th or 10th november 9th in his um a long convoy of German military officers cross over the border into neutral Netherlands and he abdicates the throne. And so there's this whole like complete anarchy within Germany itself, but the soldiers don't know this is going on because they're on the front. And then you had this period of uh, two years really between 1918 and 1920, where you have German soldiers coming back from the war, still under the command of their generals fighting against like, communists which had established their own separate government in bavaria Mm. and kind of this weird republic that forms kind of to fill the void left by the kaiser's abdication and and uh, that's a movie i want to see and uh to back up uh uh, christian there with a little more uh cultural stuff uh so the day that happened uh i believe was november 9th um and that day, particularly, but that not just that day, but that particular time period within German history. I forget the direct German, German itself, but it roughly translates to the day of German fate. Uh, and within German cultural history, November 9th is a day in which just things happen. Um, yes, because just things tend to happen at that time frame, but also 
uh, project. A day when things happen. So, so like I, Crystal Knox. So, yeah, so, so, so I, I never went ninth. Crystal Knox happened in uh, really? the Nazi era. Uh, the wall fell in 89 on November 9th. Um, oh my God! You have, uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, uh, well, of course, the abdication, abdication of the of the, um, the the emperor. Now this all um, happened on oh, November 9th? Oh, yeah. or just the ninth. But, but, no, no, November, November 9th, 9th, but just different years. Like for example, oh uh, um, um, Otto von Bismarck, I believe, was had an assassination attempt on his life. Um, there's quite a few <laughs> other ones. I can't remember exactly which ones right now. But like, if you were to like go on Wikipedia and type in the German day of fate November 9th, it gives you a laundry list of just random things that have happened. And so a lot of times people wonder within. Uh, German, you know, political culture and stuff like that is if, 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 if there is like unrest around that day, uh, is a higher chance of there being further unrest. It's kind of like the equivalency of, you know, if the American populace is unhappy and then of course we're going to be more rowdy on like July 4th, not necessarily right. as a day of celebration, but it's a day of remembrance that comes up. Uh, it's kind of like how communists or socialists might be a little more crazy on like May Day or something like that. Right. Oh my God. I had no idea. It, it, it's an entire thing. It's actually That's super really interesting. Cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and given the context of like this political turmoil in Germany, you can kind of understand why in like the last moments of the new film, the general uh, General von Friedrich he orders this last ditch charge just to break the Allied lines as one final like huzzah for Germany. The thing is, I looked into it because like when they signed the armistice, which happens at the end of the 2022 film. It's at six in the morning. Yeah, they still have like a few hours yeah, to fight yeah. because they wanted the symbolism of, oh, yeah, we ended the war on the 11th day of the 11th right. hour. There's a purpose. Of the 11 to all month. This. Yes. It's like, yeah, because of this final symbolism, you had people charging and being killed. And then, like, an all clear so- sound, uh, like, trumpet blast. Like, the war's over. Right. These last <laughs> battles were meaningless. Like, I looked into it, and 3,000 people died on that day in between 6 in the morning and 11 a.m. Yeah. And one of them was an American a Only minute oh. before armistice. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Like, it, it's, it's so, senselessness. So, yes. in your research, like, to the armistice, like, was it, like, widely known, okay, everyone stopped firing at 11, or was it, like, they didn't tell the guy on the line until, like, The reasoning 11. behind it, get this. Was like, okay, so we signed it at 6 in the morning. The reasoning to have it at 11 was like, oh, just in case we need to let everyone know, telegrams. Communication, okay. Yeah, but like even at the, even in 1918, we still had the ability to simultaneously let everyone know through telegraphs, Morse code. Mm-hmm. Hey, stop fighting. But, but wasn't this also the area, like the war in which you're using like carrier pigeons for messages too? <laughs> in between, or get shot down. Oh, oh damn it! We never knew another. the bird was killed. <laughs> oh, what happens? Oh, I, I killed this whole battalion of Frenchmen. Oh well, <laughs> we took their cigarettes and wine. But anyways, like, like that was that was the that was the reasoning behind it. Was like oh, just like communications. Like we have like this like. Was it five hours worth of time? Which is plenty of time to let everyone know, hey, we're going to stop fighting. But like capture that last acre of land. Yeah. And that was Friedrich's whole plan, which was like, okay, like just like the, the hubris of him. Like, you know what? Like it's his own pride, which yeah. led to so many more additional meaningless deaths. Like, okay, we need to seize this land for the fatherland. So we're going to charge. And like in that scene in the 2022 version, like there was a dude, which 
would have been what I would have said. Like, I'm not going to fucking fight. I'm not fighting. And he was dragged and shot on the spot. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, it was, I mean, the desperation of, like, not only Friedrich, but, like, every soldier there. It's like, it's the home stretch. And that, that was the whole sentiment of, like, I guess both films, especially with the newer version. It's like, this is it. I'm not going to die right now. The war is ending. And yet people... People died. It, it, it's almost like that one meme, like, how do you get fired on your day off? <laughs> <laughs> like, even the French. In general, uh, that's how. <laughs> in, the, in the new version, like, they didn't expect a charge. They're like, all right, the war's done. They're, like, smoking, as, as all Frenchmen do. And then they hear the battle cry of the German army just uh, coming upon them. They're like, oh, my God. Charge! And like we have that final battle scene, but like it just blew it just blows my mind, like how national fervor just clouds the mind of judgment, especially in that general character. On the fact that he was losing everything. I mean, with the end of the imperial government, what need do you have for an imperial army? I mean, your titles of nobility are being thrown out if he had any titles. This is his list desperate grasp at relevancy and and with future inflation he definitely did have a pension left <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> let's never get that yeah and that we was even that. highlighted in like when they were signing the armistice especially in the first uh, the second film um because like they're like these terms like like what the heck and, and like the frenchmen are like well you know do, losers and, don't get to decide that but 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 do you know the deeper reason why why so a deeper reason why is because in when Otto von Bismarck and uh, Wilhelm I um, started, well, technically Louis Napoleon started it, but um, instigated the Franco-Prussian War uh, of German reunification, uh, or, uh, which, in, which instigated German reunification. Um, they beat uh, Louis Napoleon so bad, and the French army captured Paris and just sieged it and didn't care. Um, you know, set up their headquarters in Versailles, that um, they humiliated the French so much where it took, you know, those two, three decades for them to get somewhat stability back on their feet. That um, since Germany essentially signed the the peace treaty at Versailles back to the Franco-Prussian War, uh, in which Germany itself as an empire, as a state, was created, and basically uh, 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 Wilhelm was crowned there, basically, that um, when it comes that now they lost really, really big, that it was just the whole entire point of it is the French wanted to further humiliate and stick it back to them for the embarrassment they had previously, in which it led to the fall of you know, this well, third French empire and whatever it might have been at that time. Second French empire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's too many French. You know, Fifth too Republic? Many, too. I mean, well, no. But like, well, five Republic. Yeah, five Republic. Yeah, I can't remember which one half time. <laughs> but that was one of the bigger reasons why is that they felt like if the creation of Germany started at Versailles, that now that they finally defeated them and they lost the war and their the government went to crap um mm-hmm. that this is a way of getting paid back the destruction of the german empire will also end at versailles so it was a little bit of tit for tat you know old grudges they die hard with nations right you know i don't blame them because like every single conflict through human history it's like if you like were to like smash up a country into a single person and it's like, it's, it's no different than like a grudge that you would have, but like yeah. someone that you know. I mean, there's a reason why there's what that, uh, that anime, what the different people's countries. Is it a 
JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. No, I can't remember. No, I'm fine with it later. <laughs> something, nothing weird or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like in this cartoon anime, excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> is uh, Germany like eating a uh, a bratwurst yeah. <laughs> and sauerkraut? It's Germany's basically a, a blonde Nordic person <laughs> with you know that led that like uh, army green kind of look. Tall, you know. Uh, oh uh, man, but what's America? Very large, fat person. Oh, oh. <laughs> Sunglasses. Yeah, America. T- yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> oh my God. I, I just know of it. I've never watched it myself personally. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. And Mexico is like a taco. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me to remember too much now. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God. But like both films, I do have to say before we go in any deeper into the story of All Quiet on the Western Front. The first film, like you said, Christian, exemplified the personal journey of the soldier, specifically Paul, reacting to the war, the Great War. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I mean, we touched upon it earlier, where, like, there's this romanticism when it comes to war and conflict, especially during that time. Because, like, it was before, like, the major wars were before the Industrial Revolution. And this was the first time where we have a war after the industrial revolution where it's like, you know, back in the day where you have like knights and, you know, they're fighting with swords and like muskets was like a relatively new invention. And like when the great war occurred, it was after the mechanization of all these nations. And you literally had people just walk into the meat grinder. And it's like that whole sentiment of like romanticizing war and liberty and nobility and all that stuff was thrown out the window when you have like the atrocities of like the trenches and the barbed wire and the tanks and the flamethrowers and the mustard gas. And it's like, Oh my God. It's like, this is what war is. This is horrible. This isn't like is it romance, like our heroes and villains. It's like, no, that's all cast away immediately. And like this film, especially the first film exemplifies that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Very true. Very true. Yeah. Which like, is lost in the second film because you see Paul, you don't see his loss of innocence, his journey, his hero's journey, I feel is lost in the second film. You kind of see it. It's touched upon, especially in the beginning of the film, because like you have that juxtaposition with like in the beginning where you have that professor figure uh, come back saying like, we need to fight for Deutschland. It's, it's, this is our great uh, journey. And all the school children are like, yeah, we're going to enlist. And Paul is very happy. And you contrast that with near the end of the film where he has like the frown and he's dirty and he has like the German Kurtzel helmet on and he's depressed. So it's like, he goes through that journey of like, like optimistic, like, yeah, I'm going to fight for my country for honor, for glory. And then when he's in the mud, he's like, oh, my God, this is this is horrid. Meaningless. <laughs> Meaningless, truly. But with the first film, it's like that journey is like so much more highlighted because he has that moment where he goes back to his hometown and mm-hmm. he confronts his professor. Yeah. And he's like. And he's called a coward by the students. I know. Even though he had been. He's on been the on Western the front. front. And, yes. And, and was he, this was after he, was this, was this after he, uh, he killed that guy with the knife? Oh, after he Ooh. confronts the yeah, Frenchman I can't remember that before, before or after. after. Michelle, uh, Either way, he was okay. like <laughs> fighting people and the fr- his hand at hand that point, combat, yeah, hand hand combats, and even so, his friends were killed. He was at least shooting at, at people. <laughs> it's not coward, <laughs> yes. pull, not 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 too much of a coward to at least pull the trigger. <laughs> yes, and I think there's a few times where he went over over the front, over or, the top, over the top. Excuse me. Like he went, he went and charged. So like, he is definitely not a coward, but like he saw the futility of war. He saw the brutality of war um, firsthand. Mm-hmm. And like people that didn't even see the fronts calling him a coward. And, and uh, kind of make like a uh, insight into this or uh, just, especially from like the book perspective and the way the, the book kind of talks about that. Um, and the old movie, movie does too. I think it definitely highlights the main kind of point of the author in the film and the fact that people who are, you know, are the most in favor of the war or most favor of war conflict are the people who are the furthest away from it and the quickest to come to judgment if you don't support it without having that humane, um, realistic view of what the actual front is look, looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can make allusions to that to Vietnam, Afghanistan, whatever, uh, but you know, Paul was there and kind of realized like, Oh, there's no purpose and no like goal. And you're just telling me to go kill ourselves for no apparent reason, just because it makes you feel patriotic and mm-hmm. that you have some kind of future glory that you can attach your name to just because you've had, you know, 15 of your 30 students die or something like that. You see that echoed in today's politics too. Like I was looking back at the the recent election cycle and like, you see all the war hawks, on stage, both parties. And like, they never served. They never served. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name names, but like those who have served, those who are veterans are vehemently anti-war. They're like, no, this is not the way we need to avoid this at all costs. Diplomacy must be first. And those who haven't served are like, we need to go to war. We need to show them who's boss. America. Yeah. USA. USA. I think in the first film does touch upon that in the sense, if you recall the scene where I think Paul goes with his father to the beer hall mm. and there's 
yeah. kind of lay out a map of the front and all these armchair generals who aren't serving don't know what the war is like. They're like, see, you just got to break through here. Yeah. You just got to kill you'll, them this way. And then you'll on to Paris. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, I think that's reflected in any war. You know, you have your armchair generals in the comfort of their own homes or state rooms or whatever. And they say, like, see, lines on the map. Just go forward and you'll take it. See, it's only... Ten miles, that's not far. Just go, take it. Send Dis- more troops, send dis- more money, send dis- more men. Disregard the tanks, the drones, the landmines, you know. Mustard gas, we have more people. <laughs> Mustard gas, flamethrowers. Yeah, screw them. Just march forward, we'll get there. General Frenchman wait in front of you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, with anything, like, especially, like, Oh my God, when the war with uh, Russia and Ukraine broke out, like everyone suddenly became an expert strategist overnight. It's like, oh, you just have to do this and you gotta go there. It's like, what the fuck do you know? Here's clearly, like, here's clearly why Ukraine has all the, you know, can't win and it's only Russia. And it just goes to show that even the, the all the biggest ex- experts at the end of the day, you only know what you know. And unfortunately, your enemies don't tell you how bad they are at things. <laughs> Oh, my God. So going back to the film, like, yeah, we have so many people like that in the film where it's like, you know, it's like, oh, you you, you just do this. And, like, the people that aren't on the front, they just don't understand. And, like, when Paul – that's why I think 2022 version, like, it's missing that scene. Mm-hmm. And, like, missing that scene almost misses the point. Like, I'm not going to get off the fence too early, but, like, the huge difference between the two films is, like, the first film focused in on like, it's almost like a theater play. It's like the dialogue is front and center. It's like you, the film is explaining to you why war is so bad. And it's like, it's, it's the soldier's journey from start to finish. And you see that uh, erosion of like the hope uh, throughout the film through the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And like with the new film, the dialogue is like supplementary to the visuals and the emotions of the actors. And dare I say, I prefer the 1930s dialogue over the emoting of the characters of the new film. Lucas, how do you feel about that? No, I, I definitely agree. And, and, and I, I agree that the, especially the 1930s film showed that more emotion. Um, and it's just kind of a little slight tangent, but just to kind of pick up when you were talking about earlier, uh, I, I think that the whole entire point of him going back to, uh, you know, him being wounded and going back to his hometown to heal and say hi to his, his mom and who's passing away, et cetera, is to show the difference between his mother's caring compassion to him and other people like his dad and his, you know, former um, um, former headmaster, et cetera that what the difference or what it really means to support the troops and necessarily supporting the troops does not a hundred percent always mean supporting you know, the war. Yeah. You're supporting the war. You can support right. like, because clearly no one in that town. Yeah. Everyone supported the war, but nobody supported the troops when he came back to talk about his particular wow. um, issues and, and, and trauma essentially yeah. I mean, yeah, for, you know, PTSD mm-hmm. from, from it. Um, sorry to be on that tangent, but, uh, no, that's de- a valid tangent. Yeah. And I just, like, I, I thought, and I definitely agree with you. 1930s, but having that particular scene showed that more clearly, um, 
versus just the general PTSD that you get by being in war and being on the front lines and seeing people massacred? It's a sentiment that's not really reflected in our day and age because like, especially during the Iraq war Mm. or the war in Afghanistan, it was support the troops. Even if you don't agree with the war, you support the troops. And like having that inverted back then, especially in these two films where it's like, well, the first film Mm -hmm. (laughs) where you have a country that's like supporting the war. We need to defeat our enemies at all costs. And we have a soldier saying like, Oh my God, like the front is horrible. Like there's these horrors beyond your, you know, your imagination. And they're essentially saying like, screw you, you shut up. You're a coward. Like there's a reason why you're not in the front right now. Like mm-hmm. we're going to go and defeat our enemies. It's like, what? And and at all costs means your, your children's lives. And yeah, and, they didn't show much care or compassion towards the use of children's lives that they just throw you at, you know, tanks and such. <laughs> right. Like in the first film we have in the beginning of the film where like Paul, our main character is like putting on the Imperial army uniform. And he's like, he has such pride in it. It's like, Oh my God, this is my uniform. I'm joining the army. I'm joining this cause for my country. And his mother sees it and she breaks down in tears because she knows her son could die and is probably going to die. And it's not the future that she wants for her child. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's this deep like regrets and sadness, seeing your child go off to war, go off to die. And it's like, she doesn't want that. And it's like that sentiment I wish is like more in commonplace. And it's like with the general population, they don't feel that way. At all. It's sad. There's a lot of detachment as far as, unless you have a particular child in service or something like that, or a family member. Right. That um, definitely in the 21st century wars become more detached, whether it be less people in the army, less people needed because of technology or just, you know, drone technology being detached and um, a faraway service versus close Mm -hmm. up in contact. I'm Mm -hmm. like, Paul, when he killed that French with a knife, not many people have to kind of really do that anymore. Thankfully, right. but like, still, it's not, <laughs> still pretty good. Because like in the first, okay, two films. Let's come. Let's compare and contrast them. Because like in the first film, we have I mean, it's the whole hero's journey, it's mm-hmm. the whole soldier's journey, enlistments, fighting, coming back home, fighting and dying. And in the first film, we have that. We see yes. like the optimism erode. And in the second film, how does that open? It opens with. Not Paul. It's it's another soldier, but like soldier on the front, and he. It's just like the full spectacle of war is before your eyes, and he's like it's through his perspective. The camera's following him, and like that whole sequence ends with him taking his shovel and driving it into a Frenchman, and it's like that is a that is a huge difference. How how do you set up the story? And it's like you already see it. Terrible, like yeah, terrors of war in the second film. Right out of the gate. It's like, isn't war bad? War is bad. War is bad. <laughs> it's bad, I'm crying. Isn't it bad? <laughs> We're not brought to the, the conclusion that war is bad. It's mm-hmm. like... Rather heavy-handed in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, it's like the spectacle of war is like brought to you. It's like, like oh my God, like the explosions, the barbed wire, the mud, people screaming and killing each other indiscriminately. And it's like... It's, I prefer the 1931. 
where it's like you're brought there. It's not like you turn it on and it's like, oh my god, like explosions, people blowing up, blowing themselves apart. It's like I don't know. It's like I prefer the journey to get. It's like the destination versus the journey. So, so would you say that you'd rather have yourself come to the message that war sucks and it's bad and not to be so easily jumped to it versus just being shown outright the terrors of war that are to be experienced. It's how Christian put it. It's like, you need to be brought there mm-hmm. instead of having it heavy handed. Like, Hey, isn't this bad? Type and, of thing. And, and you need to come to that. Conclusion. I mean, you do see it yeah. in, in the well, second, in the first film, how the terrors well, it, of war with the murders and, and the yeah. bombing well, and everything. But, I, very drawn out more sequences in, I, yeah, in the first nice. film. I, <laughs> I mean, that's when Hollywood was Hollywood, and you had thousands of extras. And in the second right. film, you have just thousands of computer-generated soldiers. You think they're a fake? I soldiers? like a lot of them. I think there's just a lot of CGI involved. Really? I think that's what I mean. That's with all modern cinema today. They sacrifice flash. I mean, they sacrifice substance for flash. You're telling me all of Marvel Endgame was CGI? <laughs> there wasn't yes. like a whole bunch of extras of those monsters. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought those were actual extras. I think some of them were, but I, I mean, the ones with the background, background characters, I mean, you can have like 20 real people, but then with the computer, you can create like 200,000 extras in the background. There's only so many blonde Germans, okay? <laughs> <laughs> They're all gone now. <laughs> A lot of them were. They're in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess the question I'm trying to ask for you two is, do you guys believe that for the 1930s version, coming to that conclusion of being particularly, maybe not pretty anti-anti-war, but just more aware of its issues. Um, do you think it makes people more um, ardently anti, more, I say positively anti-war, like, as in, like more thoughtful, whereas with the new movie, by it being very up, um, in your face, that it makes people like, well, all war is bad and therefore no war is justifiable, Whereas maybe the point of the first film um, was to bring to that, like, war might have a meaning, but this particular war had no meaning and it's a lesson to be learned. Christian, you but start. But speaking to, you know, to two particular different eras. I have a very specific you know. answer. Okay, because I've got some reflections too, just also. Well, I mean, in the first one, you have more personal investment in the character. And you see how a character or any young person can be brainwashed for lack of a better word. And then through uh, lived experience, you see how lived experience and like the traumas of war. And I think at the end, maybe it does say that all war is terrible and traumatic, um, but you have more of a personal investment at the end. So you're more thoughtful and cognizant and aware of what's going on. Whereas in the right. first, in, in the new film, I mean, you're just shown, you know, the spectacle of war being bad and feels more like an action film with characters of All Quiet in the Western Front, but not really the story of All Quiet in the Western Front. Um, and perhaps maybe you're drawn more into it and you say like, oh, war is terrible, but I really enjoy seeing these war scenes because, you know, we didn't have cameras like we do it's today. Cool. So, 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 and it's cool. It, 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 but with the personal investment in the first one, you're led because it's like, oh, look at these characters are now being murdered and killed and lied to by the the establishment. Right. So 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 would you say that the first film is more so a message and a a journey for the viewer, whereas the second film is more so for the greater audience or for the Academy Awards as far as the acting? Because it's not really personalized as much? 
Uh, what I'm saying is in the first one, I think like you as the viewer experience more so, I mean, more so like the terror and trauma mm-hmm. and you're drawn along and you see how the whole war was represented and you can apply it to maybe any war like civil war, Vietnam or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the first one, I think they just did really for spectacle to say like, Oh look, we can create this whole action sequence and we can include characters of all quiet in the Western front because we need a title and we need to tie this into something. I mean, they could have called the new film anything other than all quiet of the Western front and it would have still applied because it didn't have the story of all quiet in the Western front. And I think they just did it to say like, Oh, we're tying it to a famous book. We're tying it to a best picture. They'll get more viewers. But it's at, at the end of the day, it's still, the story of All Quiet on the Western I mean, the moral just is the same. But way. I mean, no, it's not the story. I mean, they show the beginning chapter when he's brought in and recruited, and they show, like, the ending chapters when it's, like, the final days of the war. He's already yes. become a cynic, yes. and he's ultimately killed in a futile frontal assault or something. But mm-hmm. In the first film in the 30s, you actually have the whole story of the novel. Yeah. And you see that hero's journey. You see all the other main characters. I mean, not main characters, but all his school comrades friends and comrades whereas in like the second film you see only paul and then the grizzled army veteran he befriends uh cats and you don't really see the rest of his school boys and school mates yeah we are missing that okay here's the thing to answer your question and building off of what you just said between the two films there's a reason why i cried at the end of the first film because you have that journey with Paul. Mm. You're with him every step of the way. You're there for the triumphs, the low points, and even the death of him. And by the time you get to the death of him and you see the overlay of all the fresh soldiers overlaid over the gravestones, mm-hmm. it's like, what, what the fuck was the point of all of this? It's like you feel that weight and it's like, yeah. it's like oh my God, these children are dying. Like, oh, mm-hmm. for, for, for what? And like with the second film, uh, the remake, I didn't have that sentiment. What I had because of the subplots, because they added in, they sprinkled in, because like the, the story is good enough on its own with like that soldier's journey from start to finish. They had to add in other stuff. They had to add in the political uh, background, the backdrop of like, you know, the Kaisers, the, 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 the German high command, you know, trying to figure out the armistice to end the war, to end the conflict. And like, when you have that supplementary character of uh, general Friedrich, like his hubris, his pride getting in the way of like his logic to not let his soldiers die. He's like, you know what? I need to have a legacy just like my forefathers. Like I didn't serve in the war, but like I'm leading soldiers and I need to have something to my name. And like he led his soldiers to die within the last 15 minutes of the war, including Paul. They all died for no, they, they died for no reason. So like, I didn't have sadness. I had anger towards yeah. his character. I was left like angry at the establishment. Like, You've allowed this to happen. You allowed the character that I followed for two and a half hours learning <laughs> his life to die for no reason. Instead of the first film where I'm with the soldier and he dies tragically because of war. And it's like, oh my God, war is terrible. Well, the first one's like the establishment is bad. And, and it's almost like uh, whether or not 
that general would have led that charge, he would have been traumatized his entire life. That his death, further his further death was an unnecessary trauma upon his family and those who knew him further. Because mm-hmm. all of his friends died. Yeah. Especially, like, we didn't even talk about Cat yet, <laughs> but, like, Cat's, he was, like, the veteran soldier. He was the, the older one of the group. He's the one that led everybody. Father figure, in a sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, he was always there for everybody, and he died in both films. Like, he got shot, um, and as Paul is bringing him to the infirmary, to the medics for help, like, he, he, he thought, like, oh, it's just a bullet wound. Like, it's not like a major wound, but he ended up dying. And just, he just couldn't comprehend. He was like, he can't be dead. I was just talking to him like 10 minutes ago. And they're like, well, he's dead. He's not unconscious. He's dead. So it's like he lost Everyone. everybody, mm-hmm. everything. Like, in his perspective, he lost everything. Like, he had zero hope. And that's why I think the ending of the first film it's so beautiful because, like, he's on the front and he sees something beautiful, a butterfly, a monarch, and he goes out to, to reach for it for some reason, and he gets cut down by a sniper. Yep. It's, it's, it's just yeah. something, po- and, like, the cinematography and the framing and all that, it's just so beautiful, and that beauty is missing in the remake. Mm-hmm. And all that cinematography that you liked didn't make up for it? I mean, it's cool. <laughs> or at least I mean, you're bombarded mo- with color. Modern cinematography. The, yeah. the second, I mean, I like black and white films. The I mean, flashes are too bright. Dull <laughs> <laughs> it down a little bit. I know you like black and white films. Because I'm like, have you watched a, a recent good movie? And you're like, yeah, you know, there's this great 1923 film. And I'm like, <laughs> wrong century, Christian. Damn How much it. reading do I have to do tonight? <laughs> I don't want to watch that one. What was it, Carnival or? Cavalcade. Cavalcade's Cavalcade. good. That was a th- 33 best picture. <laughs> 33, not a good year for the world. <laughs> Germany, at least. <laughs> you can watch Hearts of the World, the 1918 Lillian Gish oh, yeah. film. They actually, uh, D.W. Griffith flew out. They had planes at that time, but like they drew, went and shot on location in France for that war film. You know, you would appreciate this. You know, in my heart, I always will always have an affinity towards Louise Brooks. Lulu from uh, Pandora's Box. Oh, my God. No one can ever come close. (laughs) Those silent film stars. They're amazing. Anyways, back to the... Subject at hand. Yes. Um... Yeah, I mean, those are the two clear differences between the two films. Like, I had deep sadness mm-hmm. for Paul. Because you're then, emotionally invested in the movie. Yeah, I'm emotionally invested in, I guess, in Paul. Both, both, yes, yeah. Paul. In Paul. both instances. But, like, the whole framing around each character makes a huge difference. And the framing around his character in the second film, it's just like there was a disconnect. And because of that disconnect, I just, there wasn't that sentiment where it's like, oh my God, isn't like war terrible? It's like, oh, this, the establishment mm-hmm. is bad. You know? I mean, in the second film, he could be called Albrecht or any other name. Hans. But in, and it would still be like a relevant film. But in the first film, like Paul is Paul and you see Paul's story and you don't really see it in the second film. I mean, it's telegraphed since the first 
you know, instance of like the second film, which, you know, after that whole cold open of like, I forget what the soldier's name is. It doesn't, doesn't really, matter. It doesn't matter. But like he ends up dying and his uniform ends up getting in the hands of Paul when he enlists. And like when Paul gets his uniform and his, you know, equipments, he's like, oh, th- this was meant for someone else. This has someone else's name tag on it. They're like, oh, sorry. Mistake happens all the time. They rip out the name, they throw it on the ground, and on the ground are dozens of names because, like, all these uniforms are repurposed. Every time a soldier dies, it's patched up, washed, and then given to the fresh fresh soldier that's going to the front. They're not even buried in this. No, not even buried. Because, like, so you have that right off of the bat. So you have, like, this machine, this war machine that's being illustrated to you as the viewer while in the first film you don't have that it's this idealistic character paul who is like i'm gonna join because i want to bring glory to not only myself but to my country and you see that degradation as the film goes on but in the second film it's like you have like that machine that paul ends up becoming uh, entrapped with Mm the machine of the war machine back at the home front and then the machines and the war uh, and the battlefield when you have like, especially during that tank scene where it comes in and you literally see people getting grounded up and smashed because of the mechanization of war. It's like, there's a clear difference between the two films. And the first film is just more poetic in my opinion. That's right. <laughs> Because I didn't believe you, Christian. Because Christian was like, <laughs> the first film was better. And I was like, yeah, right. It's from the 1930s. You're right, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> and then watching the first film, I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually a really Damn good it, movie. Damn it, he was right. <laughs> and then the second film, I was like, okay, let's see, let's see how they made this story better. And it wasn't. It worse. They get <laughs> color and German actors. <laughs> I did appreciate that so much more because the actual like, people that were dying were actually German. <laughs> yeah, there, it was. I watched it subbed. You know, the actual German language being told, and it's like if you're gonna do a story about Germany, get German actors. I didn't feel that way. Even one of the actors was that German soldier from Inglorious Bastards. Oh, um, uh, Christoph Waltz. Not no. Oh. no. They I couldn't wish. afford Christoph Waltz. <laughs> right. They couldn't afford him. They got the, the soldier that was part of the propaganda film. The oh, one that, the one oh, that oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in it. And you were there, and you were there, <laughs> and you were there. <laughs> Who did I play? Uh, I was the mayor of what town? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So did we miss anything? Um, with these two movies. I mean, did we miss anything? Oh, did we miss any important features? I think we've very well covered more salient points. Are we ready to get off the fence about this film? I think I've already been off the fence. You (laughs) outed me as all being off the fence. I didn't out you. (laughs) I'm just saying what you said. You know, maybe, maybe your opinion changed. So let's get off the fence. So the first question I have so we talked about the ending of the second film where uh, General Friedrich told his battalion, we must go over the top. We must reclaim this land from the French. One last ditch efforts for the fatherland. And I'm going to ask, should Paul have gone AWOL instead of fighting in the last 15 minutes? 
Because he could have went over the top and then ran away somewhere else. I mean, I find that unlikely. I mean, didn't they have people like in Stalingrad going behind the lines, oh. like shooting people who were deserters or cowards? I mean, yeah. I think he was kind of forced into it, as you alluded earlier. There was that one person who chose not to fight and was like summarily executed, court-martialed and executed. Immediately. So I think he was kind of forced to do it. I mean, the idea of did he have a choice is an interesting question of itself because it now poses the question of like, well, had he been in the service for so long that his sense of duty to follow orders overrode any uh, survival instinct? And I think that's a very unique and interesting question to ask. Um, Right. Because like at that point, he lost everything. All his friends are dead. It could have just been I'm His mom passed away too. Let's not forget that. Well, it, not in the second one. Oh. You don't know about that in the second one. They don't touch on thinking of the book. substance. I was thinking of just the general point of it. <laughs> so, um, should he have gone AWOL? I think maybe, I don't think he had much of a choice to. I think perhaps you could even view it as like, this is his final way out. He's um, lost everything. He's going to just throw himself into this and whatever happens is in the hands and, of a... It, loving God. Right. And it's almost, it's, it's all almost a question of, again, what did he have left for him? You know, would he definitely knew that whether or not he went uh, uh, above that bombardment uh, or rampart is the wrestling for, mm-hmm. um, that he was not going to have a happy life. He was already clearly immensely traumatized. Right. You know, there wasn't a life. He's going to have beyond PT- this. Yeah. He was, he definitely was suffering from PTSD. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, I just think back to, like, especially in the second film. Because in the second film, you had that friendship between Kat and Paul, I think, fleshed out a little bit more between the characters. Because, like, they would steal... Chickens and eggs. Yeah. Chickens, yeah. eggs from, like, this local farm that was near the the front. So like you had those moments of like them building rapport between each other. And like, if they have the ability to wander away from their division, if I knew the war was ending in a few hours, I would just hang out in the forest. I would not go back. Well, they're going to go find me. They don't know where I'm at. Tie in a barn, right? Hide in the chicken coop. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different context if he went back to his squad. And it's like, okay, of course he has to follow orders or else he's going to get shot and killed. But like, if he's like going off doing extracurricular activities with cats, <laughs> might as well just not go back. Oh, we got lost. I don't know. Oh, the war's done? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it that time it's done? I thought it was tomorrow. <laughs> What do you I'll just get provisions for the next day. Um, I, I personally, and my personally, I'm a non-interventionist. I don't believe in violence unless it's really unnecessary. Um, this is a case in which I, I definitely don't think so, but I have to agree to a certain degree with Christian, which traumatized to a point where nothing was really left for him to live for, and whether that be on a book context or either the movie context. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to say that he was right for going above the rampart. Um, but I will say that 
I don't think he had much that he believed or relatively did have much of a, a, a happy life in front of him. Right. Um, if, if going back. And so at least at that final push, um, he can feel as if, well, if I've got some unfound, unfounded glory that even I don't feel that at least I will be remembered as not a coward or something like that by those, uh, who remember me, uh, back home, even if they misremembered me in a particular way that I would not have might have remembered, it's still something of honor versus shame or being the kind of person that's like, Oh, that's the guy that came back to lie because he ran away. Yeah. Right. But like for him, cause like in the first film, there wasn't as, it's pretty ambiguous when the war was ending. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. the final stretch. It was like in the middle of the war and he gets killed. And, like, he's replaced by, like, the fresh troops. So it's, like, there's that futility right there. At the second film, he dies 30 seconds before the armistice. Whoops. <laughs> like, he's still alive, dying, as the armistice is, like, being called, like, stop fighting. It's done. We're you done sh- now. You should have let the guys know how to, how to get, like, a 30-second start. <laughs> Basically. He, like, trips. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe save his life. Oh, I think I broke my foot. I can't move. That's is kaput. <laughs> I'm good. That's is good. Wunderbar. <laughs> I'll just walk it off. Oh, we're done now. <laughs> so my next question is, which film do you think is better and why? 1930 or 2022? Lucas, I'll start with you. Um, I'll definitely, you know, agree with uh, comments earlier from yourself and Christian. The 1930 film was better. Um, and I think that is because uh, even though it's got, you know, 1930s kind of cheesy tones to it at times. I like the tone. <laughs> you two have been ragging it's, at this it's, whole it's, discussion, it's, but it's, I don't think I'm it's looking at it like a, I'm guys. looking at it like a war film. I'm like, oh, is, are they serious about this? It's supposed to be depressing. Um, but... Uh, Transatlantic uh, access. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think definitely going through that, the journey um, with Paul uh, via an individual in the audience versus um, the audience as a whole mm-hmm. um, is definitely more impactful uh, because at times um, there are good and positive reasons to fight and to go to war and to defend yourself or people with things you care about. However, it's important to uh, see through and remember particular propaganda, indoctrination, um, and unachievable goals. Uh, whereas the second film was just more so like, see, war is bad. Okay. Whereas, okay. Uh, whereas definitely the first film showed the full um, variety of reasons uh, why war is bad and how it affects people, but also how, how it particularly affects people um, on the home front in uh, ways that might be more negative towards the soldiers on the front, but also um, how supporting the troops can be uh, uh, can people can put it in the same exact basket as supporting the war, and those necessarily those necessary things aren't the same, and how right. sometimes people can come back uh, and push back against a particular war narrative, but yet they can 
uh, be cast aside by their community who wasn't there and doesn't understand it. That's beautifully said, Lucas. Thank you. Uh, Christian, how do you feel? Which film do you think is better? I think if you want a film that's true to the story, All Quiet of the Western Front, you want the um, the first film, the original 1930 version. It's and I don't find the dialogue corny at all. For the record, I found it to be it's I not, found it to be to hold up as well today as when it was originally released. It still holds corny. up. And you can compare it against any other film that's been released. And it's it was still the delivery. <laughs> what time are you going to the speakeasy later? <laughs> I mean, it, it, and this isn't to say I disliked the second film. I mean, it's still like if you want a good World War One film, um, the second film is certainly an option. I mean, certainly a good option, but mm. it, it's just not true to the story of All Quiet in the Western Front. And you get similar messages, but you don't really get the full st- substance and story of All Quiet in the Western Front as you do get with the original 1930 version. Right. So I, for that reason, I like the, the 30 version because you do get the substance. You do feel more emotionally invested in the characters. Um, that's not to say that the second, the the more recent remake was bad. It's just not true to the story. <laughs> Much the like, World War One film called All Quiet in the Western Front as opposed to a movie that is All Quiet <laughs> in the Western Front. You know what? I like that. I like that a lot. Because, like, with the second film, it is superior, as in the special effects, the cinematography, everything aesthetic with it. German actors. German actors. <laughs> I, I, you, you two put so much value on it. I, 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 I I'm making a joke. That's all. That's all. Like aesthetically, it's it's a great film. Like you truly see the horrors of war, and like these actors do a phenomenal job of like portraying why war is horrible and bad. But like with the first film, why I think it's superior in a different way, which is more important, which is the heart of the film. How does it make you feel after watching it? Because like you go through this journey, it's it's through it's like reading a book. Versus watching a TV show. It's like you're going to get more because it's written better. Mm-hmm. The first film was written better because like you go through the journey with Paul. You see his triumphs. You see his his failures. You see his his weaknesses. You see the whole gambits of like start to finish with his life. And like you connect with it and it's like someone you know. It's you. It's, it's you, you on screen. <laughs> and that's why I prefer the 1930 film. Never thought I would say that, but like you can have like the whole sheen of like Hollywood and like, Oh, look how beautiful this is. And we spent like millions of dollars making it. Yeah. But like, you forgot the heart of it. You forgot the story of mm-hmm. what makes this uh, story impactful, which is the journey of the soldier and his you know, reaction to the horrors that he saw in the battlefield. And with the second film, you don't get that. That was very well said. I try. So now my next question. So now my final question. Which All Quiet on the Western Front would you recommend to a friend? And why? Christian, I'll start with you. I would recommend the 1930 version to a friend for the reasons I've previously stated. (laughs) But what if I don't like... Silent movie. It's not a silent movie. That's it's not a silent it's movie. Speaky. It's a talkie. It's a talkie. It's a talkie. <laughs> it's a talkie. 
So you're a stand for the 1930 film. Yeah, I always stand for classic Hollywood. <laughs> substance and flash. Whereas okay. modern Hollywood is flash and no substance. <laughs> it's true. So, Lucas, which one would you recommend to a friend? I'm Be one, honest. I'm one of those people where I always uh, at least try and recommend the, the book at first. Uh, uh, even if the movie is better at times. Uh, this is a particular you know, important historical book that I thought was very good. Um, but I do agree with Christian as far as the 1930s gives a fuller story and focuses on the message of the book more so than just, look, war is bad. And without the deep thought and reflection and emotion that the author's traumatic experience kind of put into the book that was um, formulated into the 1930s movie. Right. I think having the perspective of like an actual soldier experience it firsthand, writing down this fictionalized version of what he went through, I think it's like the huge difference between the first film and the second film. Because the second film felt like, oh, let's make a war movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, it's, it's, it's removed. Well, this is like its firsthand experience with mm-hmm. the first film. So, I mean, depending on who I'm recommending it to, if it's like someone that likes war movies, general audience type person, I'm going to say check out the 2022 version. But like if someone that likes cinema and more deeper stuff, I would recommend the 1930 version. I'll be like, you know what? Check it out. Trust me. It's going to be good. That's what I would do. Indeed. Okay, I think we're at a consensus that the 1931 is better than the 2022 version. And and, and hopefully we're also at a consensus that war is bad. War is bad. Okay, bonus question. (laughs) Do you think this is going to win Best Picture? No. No, but then again, I'm I'm not someone who pays close enough attention to Hollywood to even know who even got nominated besides this movie because I watched it. Those nine other movies, including Top Gun. Uh, Oh, man, (laughs) Top Gun. (laughs) How can this compete? <laughs> That's I don't right. If you want be. a best picture film, you go with the 1930s version. Oh, that actually won. That actually won. <laughs> it actually won. Wings, first best picture, silent film, 1927. That's right. Also a World War One film. Also would recommend that to anyone. Wings and All Quiet on the Western Front. That's right. Okay. The actual winners. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to win. You think it's going to win, Lucas? I'm not one to claim any uh, seance towards predicting anything in Hollywood. We're going to conduct a seance? <laughs> Our predictions. <laughs> RV Weinstein. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Now, who are the nominees this year, anyways? <laughs> I have no idea. Some, I mean, it's so like There's decentralized now because they, they, like we have to like nominate every film, and people are upset that like even the superhero films that everyone sees aren't nominated even though they're not because they suck they're not <laughs> written well hey. and formulaic i'm sorry batman dark knight should have at least gotten consideration Heath i agree with that yeah. if it was made now it would 100 oh, yeah. percent be nominated yeah. you want to know the best pictures before we yeah yeah go? let's go through it okay. this is our gift to the audience the go chances of oscar picks. all right okay are we gonna say if we've seen it or not or no yeah, we or, should. Or heard of it? So much. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Heard of it, heard, haven't seen it. Heard of it, haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Oh, shame. <laughs> Women Talking. No. Never heard of it. I've heard of it, haven't seen it. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I've heard of it. I've wanted to see it, just haven't had a chance. I've heard nothing but crazy, fantastical things about it. It's amazing. Between cinematography, right. acting, and directing. I and haven't line. heard anything about it. I can only assume that's a it, movie about the 2020 plague year. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> Everywhere, 
all at once. No, it's it's like a it's like a metaverse kind of default. I mean, Multiverse. It's, oh. it's 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 almost on the level of uh, of uh, if you did, uh, the Jared Leto movie, um, uh, uh, Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody, which I absolutely love myself. So I, that's one of my it's on my list to watch. It's a good film. Mm-hmm. Mr. Nobody's fantastic. It's super deep. I love think it. that one's gonna win. But anyways, the Banshees of Isherin. I've I heard of it. I haven't seen it. It's black and white. I do know that. It's not black. No, it's not black and white. Oh, I'm thinking a different like Irish. You are movie. fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking a different Irish movie. I guess. Yeah, it's a different. That's the lighthouse. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are fake news. Triangle of sadness. Besides my wife? No, I don't know. <laughs> it's about a yacht that explodes in the Bermuda Triangle. Perhaps <laughs> the Fablemans. The oh, I've heard of it. Steven it's Spielberg. Spielberg one. All Quiet on the Western Fronts. I, I, I think I've heard of it. I think I may have seen it. You know, I've, I don't know. I've been talking about it for who, an hour now. Who? <laughs> Where? Who? Avatar The Way of Water. Oh, that one was great. I love the Avatar movies. Wait, are you serious? I like that one. <laughs> I. It's like the peak James Cameron. And it's like. You're trolling right now. No, the beauty of it is like. At the very end, and this shouldn't spoil too much of it, but he like says, you know what? I'm not just satisfied with this as an Avatar film. I'm going to bring in like Titanic, Poseidon Adventure. Yes, at the end. <laughs> at the very end is like Titanic, Avatar, peak James Cameron. It, and then like the, the thing was like filling up with water. I'm like, mm-hmm. where have I seen this before? <laughs> Two films hey, in hey, one. My only question is, was there enough room in the door? Um, there was a whole boat for them to oh, lay okay, on. Okay. So. Oh, this time, James Cameron. Okay, yeah, he, he learned. Cameron, America's hero, the hero we need. Elvis, I've. It's been on my list. I've not seen it, but I do not watch it. Oh, really? I, I haven't is, seen it. It is I've a fucking it. nightmare. It's the same director as Romeo and Juliet. Wait, which, which one? Which one? Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet oh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And uh, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Yeah. It is okay. Let me just illustrate it. Uh, Elvis is walking through a doorway. There's 50 angles of him walking through the doorway. Like, so it's just we too all fast. know there should be 51. It's it's like a fever dream. It's like anxiety. The film. So so. So it's not like uh, you'll be like, uh, oh my god, what the fuck am I watching? So, so it's not like that Remy guy uh, who had played uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. No, it's not like that. Okay, all. that thought that was. Does, does the Elvis sandwich make an appearance? Oh, hopefully. Do any tigers make any appearances? Uh, it's in Vegas most of the time. Do we get to see Fat Elvis? Like end of life. I'm going to be honest Elvis? with you. I turned it off after oh. t- after 30 minutes. I was like, no. I can't do this. Like, I'm getting a headache. You're like, it's free on HBO anyway. I'm going to put on All Quiet in the Western Front and cleanse my eyes. <laughs> I want a feel-good movie. Exactly. And the last film, Tar. With Kate oh, Blanchett. I've heard of it. That one looked interesting. It looked interesting. Yeah, i never heard of it. I guess I need to watch more movies, guys. Nah, just stick to the 1930s and you'll have <laughs> all the movies you want. Yeah, when it was great, when it was great, Metropolis. That was twenties. You get Gone with the Wind. You get Mutiny on the Bounty. But Gone with the Wind is incredible. It's a, great, uh, what it's a, a five-hour movie, but it's oh, amazing. That's a good yeah. What about uh, 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 the Wizard of Oz? That's a good movie. Did it win an Oscar? I'm sure it did. I think it was nominated for a bunch. So, oh it, 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 so it came out in 29, and Gone with the Wind came out in 29. Both nominated for Best Picture. Both had the same director. 
Victor Fleming. Victor <laughs> Fleming won Best Picture for Gone with the Wind. Oh my God. What a Chad. Wow. No one can compete. So uh, which one of your films won Best Picture? Yeah, which one? I yes. directed multiple. <laughs> the same year. Nominated for both. <laughs> that's What have you done with your life? <laughs> Seriously. All these directors now are like charlatans compared to that guy. Oh my Except God. for James Cameron. Well, I like Tarantino. Are you serious? I liked Evan. I know you don't get bought in with I the don't commercialism, like- but I like the commercialism of Avatar. I felt the fact it was that my it duty is- to watch the second Avatar. I was like, it's my duty as a human to watch the second Avatar. I- and I didn't like it. I like the first. Like- the I- first one's so much better. Oh, yeah. The first one is definitely better, but like the second one is enjoyable too. I'm not It's enjoyable. Tell. But like you I mean- lose. And we're like going off on a tangent on Avatar, but I don't care. You lose that. It's just like with Paul. You lose the sentiment between like the main character, Jake Sully, going through like. like, Dances with wolves, but in space. Yes. Like you You took the words out of my mouth, and that's exactly why I don't care for either of the movies. (laughs) I I try. I mean, I. It's so visually spectacular. I could watch Avatar back to back. It's. Yeah, it's just Dance of the Wolves, and I, I can say I like Dance of the Wolves better, personally. <laughs> What's in that, Kevin Costner? Yeah, and there was a, there was a guy named Kicking Crow. I thought I was like, awesome <laughs> as a kid. I'm like, wow. Kicking Crow. <laughs> like, my name is Lucas. I don't have a cool name But you this. lose that, just like with Paul, just like with like going from 1930 to 2022. You lose that uh, journey with Paul the main character, the soldier being brutalized and then realizing like, Oh my God, like with Jake Sully, with like that, which, which life am I living? Which is the dream? Which is the real life? I'd rather be a Navi, you know, one with nature. And like with the second film, you don't have that. You get the, the aftermath. You get, you get the same. I mean, you, you get the, avatar Atlantis. Come on guys. Yeah, you, <laughs> you underwater. Have, I mean, you see the kid bonding with like the whale or whatever the hell it is. And it's like, that's kind of neat. And the fact they had to invent the technology, the motion capture technology for people swimming underneath. Like, Oh, that's pretty cool. It, it was cool. And I like how James Cameron's like, so he yeah, my CGI is better than Marvel. Yeah. Get up, go to the bathroom. You'll see it again. Who cares? That was, that was Christian. Right I liked, there. I like it. I would say, and then Jake Scully, Jake Sully became like a John Connor figure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. He became a John Connor. Just like in Terminator, which is also directed by James Cameron. So he went see? back in the past? I, like, I didn't say it's like a movie. I we have to send James Sully back in the past. <laughs> you know I'm saying he's like to stop the American humanity, savior of the Navi. It's like he's the number one guy. They're trying to hunt him down. It's like that's not the sentiment I got in the first film. He was just like a soldier. That but then like, he became the leader of the Navi because he beat the humans. And so now they have to hunt him sky down. Sky people. Sky people. <laughs> The sky people are back. It's like ancient aliens. And then the sky people. <laughs> and they brought all this technology. So now we're just going on a tangent. Yeah, so I think we've lost boat, all guys. the viewers by this point. <laughs> okay. I don't think we had any viewers, just listeners. <laughs> don't go see Avatar 2. I will not. The I, way of I, no, no, no. You have to see it. <laughs> no. It's like you have to see it. You have to see it as a human, but you're not going to enjoy it. No, but you will enjoy it. <laughs> James Cameron. They should have had the whaling plot points be a bigger part of the story. That was like, oh, and also, like, should have got rid of small soldiers, dude. Got rid of that guy and just have him, you know, they, encountering the the sea navi and then like, oh, there's these whalers to are, are, get the whales. Are they trying to get like whaling oil? Like, what is going? I mean, it's a two-star yes. plot for the four-star visual effects. Oh, it was, still gonna love it was it. the most beautiful CGI I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm watching. I'm like, I don't know what's real and what's computer generated. I want to be, I want to live in Avatar. There are people who come out of Avatar films saying like, I cannot deal with real life. I want to live in the James Cameron world. Well, guess what? James Cameron world is real. It's an animal kingdom in Disney world. I've been, <laughs> it's pretty cool. But the movie's better. But All Quiet in the Western Front, 1930, is still better still. Oh, yeah. Way better. Agreed. Are we ready to close this out? I think we are. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I appreciate my thank first you. experience with this. Right? Thank you, guys. This was so great. Christian, thank you for coming back. I'm glad the Dark Tower didn't scare you away. And uh, Lucas, I hope to have you on again oh, soon. I'll give you plenty of suggestions. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Guys, thank you so thank much. You. Let's close this out. Goodbye. That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and letterboxed at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. Goodbye.